Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. To hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions change their careers, what relationships influenced their work. George Stephanopoulos was communications director for Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign. Now, Governor Clinton has a character problem. But I take it that your line of young, smart, and maybe a little too handsome for the job, Stephanopoulos handled political firestorms calmly and with confidence. He denied a specific He said that he had problems in his marriage. That's right, and he he has talked about the draft, and to some people it's a character problem. Bill Clinton's passed his character test throughout his life and throughout this campaign. And he's shown it through his commitments to real fights. And what he's going to do in this campaign... After the election, he became Clinton's White House communications director and then the president's senior advisor for policy and strategy. Today, at 54, he is chief anchor for ABC News, anchor of ABC's Good Morning America, and host of ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos. If you've read his autobiography, All Too Human, you know there is little in Stephanopoulos's early life that would foretell his later successes. There was no idea when I was a kid. I mean, like, to the extent there was an idea, it was I was going to go into my family's business, which I would have been a priest. My father, my grandfather, my uncle, my godfather. But I sort of knew when I was in high school that wasn't going to happen. And uh, after that, uh, I was always interested in public affairs and politics. And we know we talked about current affairs at home. But I didn't really know... What I wanted to do, I would say until my – I was sort of out of college. In college, I was doing both journalism and politics. I was a, a radio broadcaster, sportscaster actually, but also had an internship which did really make a difference for me. I went in my junior year of college. I went and interned for my local congresswoman and I kind of got the bug. Why? Then. You know, I, I came from a suburban uh, Cleveland high school, had a good group of friends, but it wasn't – people weren't for, keyed for into – Fall River, Massachusetts. That's where I was born, right. but I was living in Cleveland, Ohio okay. at the time. And uh, 
that, you know, that wasn't what people were interested in. And then you go to D.C. and there's all these young people who kind of care and talk and fight and debate about the same things. And More that passionate. was really exciting as well. I More love engaged. that. So I, I started out in politics. And uh, actually, when I finished graduate school, I uh, was trying to think, should I now go – journalism or politics more full-time. I was about 25 then. And uh, I actually applied to ABC News, applied to Nightline, and got a uh, very kind but very terse one-line rejection letter from Rick Kaplan at Nightline. I got hired by uh, my member of Congress, Ed Fien, to be a So before he was at CNN, Kaplan was at Nightline. Oh, he was, yeah, he had been at ABC for a long right. time. And, you Who know, was the just, anchor then? Oh, it's Ted Koppel. It was was Koppel then. And uh, I got my jobs in politics, and one thing led to another there, and I loved it and was happy to do it. Uh, And really was passionate about it. When I left the White House in early 97, I was, I guess I was, what, 35, 36 then. I felt much older. (laughs) And I knew. Do you know why? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, White House years are dog years multiplied. Yeah. But I also knew I had a better sense of what I didn't want to be than what I wanted to be after I left the White House. I knew I didn't want to be someone who just hung around Washington trading off of what yeah. he had done forever. Right. And I knew that in order to feel my age again, I had to start a different career. And whose idea was it for you to go to ABC? I think— Part of the reason, probably the biggest reason I went to ABC is when I met with Rune Arledge, I got the, what they call the full Rune, which is, you know, he brought you in and it was be the last time I saw him pretty much. <laughs> but, right. you know, sold me on ABC and one of the pitches he made is that we have, uh, you know, a pretty good history of taking people who'd, who'd been in politics and actually training them to do journalism. Diane Sawyer, although she had come later, uh, but also Cokie Roberts. Nixon, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was, a, it was a good pitch. I didn't know when I started that I would, you know, end up going full-time, but I knew I had the opportunity. And so when you started, you started ABC when? January 20th, 1997, Inauguration Day. Commentator. And Charlie Gibson on that first day was the inauguration coverage. Gave me kind of a hard time. Just, do you know, you know why? Yeah, I was do. Was it a rite of passage? Yeah, absolutely. I got it from all of them. I got it from I got it from Charlie a little bit. I got it from Ted Koppel, who once came to my office and just looked me in the eye and asked me why I'm here and whether I really felt I could, you know, sort of do the job, be fair, and uh, and be objective. Were they, were they were worried that you could be fair? Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, got hazed a little bit from by Peter, but he was. But you know, I they gave also gave me the chance to prove myself. Right, and and and, and did you worry that you could be fair? I didn't worry about it, but I realized that it was the only way, if I was committed to doing this full time, it was the only way to do it. And I'll tell you what actually worked for me, and this is probably different from people who grow up and begin their career as as journalists, is I couldn't pretend that I didn't have personal opinions. Couldn't pretend that I wasn't a Democrat. That you had been paid for those those political opinions. Right. And and once I accepted that, as opposed to trying to be the journalist, and some journalists don't vote and, you know, are so, you know, rigorous about we're not going to allow any part of our life to show that kind of uh, uh, choosing of one side or another. I sort of accepted that and then said, but my job is to analyze things and report on them and tell people with the benefit of my experience, uh, help them put this all into perspective, and then they can go make up 
their own minds. And by by not pretending that I was someone else, it freed me up inside. But I, w- I want to get to later on the nature of what it is to analyze things from a journalistic standpoint. But I want to stay with this track of this. So you write the book, and I'm willing to bet you keep the gloves on. You write the book, and you're very kind of cautious what you write. But nonetheless, people viewed when you wrote the book that you kind of you, – you had some um, rigorously honest opinions of the Clintons in your time there. And did you feel when the book came out, because I know that I would feel this way, that in one sense you'd done enough of that in the book already – so now that when you're on TV, did it make you kind of cautious and you kind of pulled your punches on the air? But no. I mean, it's now what was happening then is, and this was actually, you know, part of the journey. Um, I decided to write the book when I first left the White House. And it was supposed to be a relatively lighthearted, but honest, <laughs> uh, kind of adventure story of this, you know, your life. My life, and you know, and uh, that had a, you know, quite a happy ending. And actually, and I worked on the book throughout 1997, and it was in, um, whenever it was, whatever, January of 1998, that uh, all the Monica Lewinsky stuff of course. broke. Of course. And I was called on the day it broke. I remember, I, again, <laughs> I think, I, I know I was in Alabama. I was going to try to say, I was going to say the city, and I'm not positive it was Birmingham or Montgomery, but I was in Alabama that morning. I had spoken at a college, and when all this stuff broke, and I had to go on Good Morning America that morning and talk about it. And one of the promises I had made myself when I started to be a commentator was not that I would disavow by any means, I don't think it was honest, my my previous views, but that what I owed the audience was to sort of tell them the same kinds of things I would say if this were a meeting inside the White House. Like, you know, what does this mean? Um, Which I felt was a way to be true to my beliefs, but also to give an added perspective. And, uh, you know, I I saw that stuff come out that, that morning, and I had actually, I said what I thought, which was true. I said, if these revelations, if these charges, if these accusations are true, if, I think I said if a couple times, uh, they're serious and they, they, they could lead to impeachment. Did you know they were true? No, I didn't know. Right. Uh, no one knew inside. No, that was... It, it was, you know, it was compartmentalized, you know? Right. I mean, so... Whatever he did, he was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing was, that was a sort of a... My first taste of... Well, even when I felt I was just sort of laying it out as I saw it, that was seen as, you know, hugely controversial. You know, people said I was betraying and all that kind of stuff. I didn't believe so. But uh, it was I, – I, I got that sense of, whoa, this is – it's not always going to be No matter what simple. you say, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't in that context. Because when I read the book and I remember it came out, people said uh, there was that tone of betrayal. Yeah. And that's a – you know, I understand people who have that position on principle – that, you know, if you work for a White House, you shouldn't write about it or, you know, you should wait 20 years or something. Well, I understand. I don't agree with that position, but I, uh, I understand it. Once that happened, I had written about 150 pages by that point, and I had to throw them out. Not because the incidents had changed, but, you know, the filter definitely changes. I mean, they, once when something like that happens, you have to go back and look 
look at, back at everything through the filter of what you now know, even though you still try to be honest to the moment. The light as in the room has changed. Yeah, and, that's exactly it. And, I mean, I don't want to ask you to revisit that and talk about your experience then, but like, what effect did that have on you long-term and your, your view of politics? Because for me, that was the beginning, not Watergate. You know, it's so, it's so interesting. It was, it was the Clinton impeachment that, that began to me to slowly turn my view of American See, for me, life. it felt more like a progression. You know, one of the, one of my my takeaways from that whole time is, you know, I, I remember in those men I worked for Clinton for about six years, liberals, real liberals, always distrusted him. Um, you know, especially after the '94 election and, and the triangulation in there and welfare reform and all those things. But it was somehow it was the act of impeachment that actually galvanized and united all Democrats around him because mm-hmm. it was seen as overstepping. Right. And, and, and I think that Another was— Another assassination. Yeah, political assassination. Yep. And it—I think that was one time when the majority of the country, or enough of the majority of the country, even those who deplored what, what President Clinton did, felt that, you know, this is going too far. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine this now, but, I mean, that in the— course of impeachment, as the president is being impeached, his party picks up seats in the House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. how, the, that's mm-hmm. how much the country rejects. But I don't see that as the moment. I, I, I see that as a building. You know, this, this kind of thing had been building up for, for some time. And I saw... In terms of what? Well, you... The, 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 the Republicans the intense, looking for their opportunity. The, the intense partisanship. Right. And, right. you know, the, the, the idea of, of... I hesitate to use your, your word assassination, but where everyone was looking for a scalp all the time. Right. Not, a tit for tat. On, on both sides. They wanted their Nixon. That's possible. But, you know, when you look back and then Republicans will say, well, wait a second. Now, look what happened to Bork. And that was really the original sin. Going through his, his movie records. Yeah. Going through his movie records was where it all Thomas. Uh, began. Th- Thomas then right. uh, comes up. And it's just one thing builds after uh, another. This was payback time. Were you glad you weren't there when all that was going down? I, I mean, think that's kind I, of a question that answers itself. Yeah. You really go, like, like you wonder what it must have been like to – I mean, my admiration for him is that he survived. I really don't give a damn what people do in their personal lives. What's the preferred way for the president to take the edge off? You want him to drink? <laughs> you want him to take prescriptive medication? If the way he takes the edge off is he likes women, then I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take that of the three. <laughs> Choose one of the three. And I think I don't, I'll, that, that doesn't I'll let bother you me. Speculate on that. I'm, I'm not asking. You to, I'm not asking you to chime in. No, but all this stuff was always people's behavior and their and their personal lives. That never really, really bothered me. But I also think that when I see him, I I, I just have this tremendous. He's like Chuck Yeager to me. You, know, you crash that jet fighter and you get he's, out and you're alive. He survived. And. And just he's tough. never so tough. He's so goddamn tough. I mean, that, this guy. That is the thing. And you know, he he used to tell this story about getting pushed down as a little kid and just always bouncing, bouncing right back up. And in so many ways, that that resilience uh, is is a big story of his life and his presidency. I mean, uh, you know, and that's a great you know it's it's it's, it's an invaluable political strength. You want it in your presidents because every president's going to make a mistake. So obviously when you were on one side of the aisle, so to speak, and then you came over there, do you find yourself doing things that you hated when other reporters did? You know, I think I am uh, both helped and hurt by having spent the, you know, the first 20 years of my career in politics. Um, I think it helps me in that you know, I, I have been inside those rooms where the decisions 
are made. And I do tend to believe that most politicians, public servants, most of the time are well-motivated, trying to, you know, do the best they can according to their vision of what right and wrong is. Um, and, you know, there are times when – so I don't have that that deep, ingrained skepticism gene that, you know, if you're going to be a great investigative reporter, you kind of need. I think that kind of uh, – you know, sometimes it handicaps me in that way. On the other hand, having that empathy and understanding I think sometimes gives me a better sense of how things – uh, are are going to uh, play out. Um, and no, I'm, I have tried to be, you know, even, you know, I do the, the Sunday show and I'll ask tough direct questions and follow up. How many times have, have you to... interviewed Obama? Oh, gosh. Several. You know, a lot. I mean, I, I don't know the exact number. And how was your 12, experience 15. working with in the White House? What what kind of color does that cast? What kind of a shade does that cast on your view of him and what he's done? I'm going to ask you to. I'm, I'm yeah, kind no. of asking you to evaluate him, but I'm asking you more to th- think about what's been like covering him. You know, it's. I think he's been, you know, a president at pretty momentous times. Um, I've had some very contentious interviews uh, with him, but I come at it from the perspective of, you know, again, he's going to beat you if you try to take a cheap shot uh, in an interview. And I think that basically— You haven't done that. You've seen other people do that. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it's just sort of— And he sidesteps that punch. Easily, but we ended up getting into a a pretty long, contentious uh, argument— um, it was during the um, health care fight. We got into this argument. I was questioning about the idea that the uh, mandate was a tax. I said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's forcing people to, you know, to spend their money. To spend their money. Um, and he just was not having it. And we went at it for like, you know, in TV, it was an eternity. It was like 12 minutes. And uh, I probably just exaggerated. It may have been six. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the tape. <laughs> but went back and forth, and and he was so insistent on it, and I was insistent on my side, and I even had a dictionary definition of tax. And the minute the camera went off, he said, you lost when you pulled out the definition. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I get the last word on this story. This is, you know, a story that makes me look good. Of course, when they went to the Supreme Court, the way they won the argument was by arguing that the mandate was a tax, and that's how they got John Roberts' vote. And you sent him a note and said, "You're welcome." <laughs> yeah, right. You sent him a note and said, "But You're no, welcome. I, you know, I think he, you know, he came in at a, a time of incredible crisis—the worst economic crisis of our uh, adult lifetime. I don't think I would have made every choice that he made through that. And in fact, if I am honest with myself, I probably would have been on the side in the White House. Arguing, you know, maybe you shouldn't do health care now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he pushed like it through and got it through done. what they couldn't get and he, through. And he got it through. Um, yeah. uh, but I, you know, I— I'm a little wistful about him leaving when he's done. Because I don't think he's been given enough credit. He just hasn't. I think he's— I mean, when you, Few think, presidents are in their time. That's, you're very right. You're, you're far wiser than I am about that. I just feel like—and it's not about race. I just feel like—I feel that people's uh, uh, fatigue, they're fatigued. Americans are fatigued by war. They're fatigued by uh, the well, economy. And, 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 you know, and this is also a progression. And the, 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 he came in making a promise that could not be kept. This idea that uh, you can bring together 
the country in this environment was is is fanciful. Um, but it's that's that progression of seeing the the hardening of partisan lines over the last generation. I think makes it you know it's, you sort of look at when's the last second term president who. You know, Clinton got it, I guess, towards the, the very end, but he was also impeached. That you know, yeah, yeah. it doesn't have the whole country by the time he's finished. Just, it was a pyrrhic victory for him. You know, you know, sick yeah. and tired. Yeah. So, with 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 your uh, from your standpoint now, are you excited about or not excited about or indifferent to another Bush Clinton? I'm race? fascinated by the whole idea. Yeah. And number one, and number two, I'm I. What I'm most interested in is seeing how the country reacts. Part of me just can't believe it. I mean, my whole adult life, there's, you know, kind of Bush and Clinton's mm-hmm. <laughs> running for What yep. is it? What is the statistics? You know, you go back to 1952, and there, I don't think there's been a ticket on the Republican side that didn't have a Bush or a Nixon. Huh. Nixon, 52, 56, 60. 60. He loses. So 64, 64 is the only, he's is the not only, there. It's the 64 is we the skip only 64, one. And then he goes 68, 72. 68, 72. No, and then you don't have 76. No 76. We're still pretty but good then record. Then it's 83. 80. 80. Then he's on and, and then he's on as the Veep. Then he's the president, 88. Then he then loses to Clinton. Clinton. And then he's back in 2000. Then he's back. In, there's a couple skips so there. No, it's when, it, it was that there's, where there's not an incumbent. Right. The open ones. Right. Incredible, but I. I'm but but and, and you know, there's a lot of evidence out there that people complain about it. On the one hand, there's a fascinating focus group that Peter Hart broadcasts out of Denver, and and Dan Balls wrote about it in the Washington Post. And the, these people talk about Bushes and Clintons, and you know, to be fair, in this one, they were slightly more negative towards Bush, but there was this fatigue on on both sides, and you hear that anecdotally. But it doesn't seem to move people's opinions. Were you surprised that Romney decided to bow out? I, I was, was disappointed. I was more surprised that he took the jump to get to oh, come oh, really? back in. Why? Because he had been burned. Because he had had his chance. Because he had he and his family had said in such emphatic ways. I mean, what was Ann Romney's eleven nose in such emphatic ways that they would never do it. Again, because he was so crushed by the loss, although that can cut both ways. Um, but they were making that quote about, or they were citing that thing about Reagan came back and won the third time. Reagan and Nixon won on his third time too. Right. Uh, I was disappointed that Romney didn't run because, as, as a as a moderate Democrat myself, I'd say to myself, he's the one I could have lived with. Like when McCain ran, until he picked Palin as a running mate, I thought if he won, I could live with that. I'm not going to kill myself. You know, I mean, there were other. <laughs> what I'm saying, there's other Republicans, and if they won, I would have had to. But you know, boy, you saw I what happened cried. once he started to run. He had a fair amount of support, but what that, that second day, he had the Wall Street Journal editorial board whack him. Uh, Romney. Romney. Yeah, the, well, Romney. the Murdoch. And you got the sense out. that Murdoch, the yeah, Murdoch was you got the sense that Murdoch was not going to have this. Out on yeah. Though Stephanopoulos is a born commentator, you get the sense that he could have done anything in life. President Clinton once called him a master of the universe. Take a listen to our archive. More in-depth conversations with artists, performers, and newsmakers like Brian Williams. Yes, the Brian Williams, who I talked with back in 2013. Dinner could not start 
in our household until Walter Cronkite said, My house too. That's the way it is. Bingo. Take a listen at heresthething.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest today is George Stephanopoulos. He spends his weekday mornings as the anchor of ABC's Good Morning America, talking with everyone from policymakers to YouTube sensations. At first, he wasn't sure it was such a good fit. They came to me and um, said, would you think about it? And it was after, you know, uh, Charlie had announced he was going to leave and uh, Diane was going to take his job and um, I just said no. <laughs> and why? I, I liked what I was doing. I didn't think I could do the other job that I just didn't think it met, matched my... Did your wife talk you into it? Absolutely no and and I was just going to get to the second was reason. Was your wife I, telling you the whole thing you're far more charming than you think you are? <laughs> As only our wives she was, can do it. She was actually saying no you're not going to do it because also we had uh, two... Our girls were 
they're still pretty young, but they were much younger then. We had a, a, a really nice sort of quiet rhythm. life in D.C. <laughs> right, rhythm right. and didn't want to upend it. What changed? You know, you've probably seen this at various times in your career. I don't know if it works exactly the same way. It probably does. There's great power in saying no sometimes. Right. You have to mean it when you say it. And right. I did mean it, but they just kept saying, well, just think about it. And, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I, I, there, there would have been a cost to saying no. It meant I could do what I was doing for a long, 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 long time. You're young. But it probably meant that that's all I would do. Right. Because you're saying they're telling you we right. need you to do this right. for the company and stepping stone, and you're saying no. Okay, right. so it takes on a life of its own. Yeah, that's your that's your choice. Right. You know, um, so that was part of it. Um, and what did you think that that job required that you didn't have? Because I'll tell you something interesting. This is a true story, but I'll never forget. In 1994, I was in Tokyo. And I was promoting this film, and I get a phone call, and I, I don't want to go into the particulars of who's on the other end of the phone and how it all played out, but they basically said to me, you know that Good Morning America was never more successful than when an actor hosted the show, David which Hartman. was David Hartman. And they said, would you consider becoming the host of Good Morning America? Get out of here. Oh, yeah, 1994. I was 36 years old. I wondered also, as we both know, if they were doing this to pressure someone to sign their contract who was holding out on a contract mm -hmm. or something, because you never know whether people are using you for some other purpose. And I thought about that. I mean, I do this podcast. I've 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 done yeah, other things outside. Of, well, I've done things outside of this because uh, I always say it's a, it's it's a nice way to kill an hour and talk to people <laughs> I, I'm interested in their career. But like, what did you think? Well, it was the I had never as a as a journalist never covered or done things that. Uh, I wasn't personally interested in. I'd always, you know, basically done politics and public policy and public affairs, which is, you know, that's and by the way, a larger game. Yeah, and I and I that's the way I like to start my day. I like to start my day by reading two hours of everything uh, going on in the world, and then you know using it. And I knew that you know, by definition, the morning shows have some of that, but it's also a lot of things that you know you wouldn't expect me to talk about, you know, home decorating, or I like to cook, but it's not something I want to do on TV every morning. And Did you have to find a way to talk about home decorating I, I, in know, the Good Morning America style? It, 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 what I found— and To develop a skill. It, I was lucky in that um, I, had to, I had to learn how to do what I do differently, and I was very lucky in that they changed the show around as I was doing this as well and sort of broadened out the team. Which made it possible for me to basically be nothing but myself on the air. Um, and that is actually— You can be the straight man. The skill. The skill is to— you know, be who you are. Be who you are. The world is going to come to you every morning. There's going to be all kinds of different things happening. Handsome, earnest, egghead. React as, a, as you normally would to whatever happens. And that's, you know, that's actually kind of fun. I guess the perfect morning show host would be a combination of you and your wife. <laughs> Somebody with your knowledge about public affairs and someone with her timing she, and, and sense her, of humor. She's so funny. She is funny. Yes, yeah, she's so she's funny. funny. What did she think about you doing the job? She didn't want me to do it at first. Uh, she's glad you did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We loved Washington, and I've been going back and forth Washington in New York my whole career, but we really love New York. Mm -hmm. We love living here. The kids love it. And the kids love it, and we have a great, you know, knock on wood, a great life here. What's the tough part about doing that job? 
Because famous talk show hosts who I've been doing their shows and they've been con- they've confided in me like I'll come on and I want to you know I want I'm eager to please so I want to like you know play ball with them and come up with some stuff and some bits and whatever and we work the segments and they'll lean over and say thank God you're here you know I, I just, you know you're so funny and then they'll say to me what torture it is pretending no, people are special who aren't that special they, when they well, come on and they're kind I, of I lifeless even, I, you know that part doesn't bother me what bothers me is when people come on. And they expect you to do their job. Yeah, they don't put it that, that's, that's yeah, They're in entertainment, but you wouldn't know it. You hear they're in entertainment. And, you know, they got a job to do and can come do it. I respect, really respect professionals who, you know, know that talent is one thing, but work is important to them. And, and a weird thing for me, I mean, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, but it's slightly weird how in the arc of my lifetime, the evening news— a guy or a woman, for that matter, sitting behind the desk. I mean, Maureen Dowd made a, had a nice column about this. Sitting behind the desk and telling you what happened today, which is a dated concept. We're all walking around with a device in our hand that tells us everything every 10 seconds. An up, you know, refresh button. And that is changing and morphing and diminishing. Well, but the morning shows have not lost their importance. They've become more important. Well, you know, the, the good Why thing— Why is that? Well, you know, it's one of the last places you were talking about how you watch television— we all tune in now for big events. You know, most of us watch the Super Bowl. Most of us watch, you know, the presidential debates, not so much the States of the Union. Any kind of big live event, the country, even the award shows like the Academy Awards, people will tune in on. The morning is the last place where people actually, I think, on television get up to find out what happened while they were sleeping. Right. My device has been off. And, you know, during the day, they're catching up all day long. And I got to say, that's one of the, and it was one of the, there are two things that surprised me about uh, how much I've ended up, you know, fitting into this job and also liking it. Uh, I really, really love the idea that people are getting up and getting their first news from you. Yeah. I I love that. You're in a good spot. Yeah. and, And secondly, and this is the thing I had to come to appreciate, Something I've heard in the last five years, which I had never before heard, uh, and, you know, just from people on the street when they come up and talk to you, and most people are nice, um, is, uh, you know, thank you for starting my day and, and putting us in a good mood. No matter what happens, you know, and the news isn't always good, but you guys just seem to, uh, you know, be able to do, have fun and do it in a, in a way that makes us feel Jane good. Jane Pauley. Yeah. When I was a kid. Jane, Jane Pauley. Yeah, you I wake remember, up and you're like, there she is. I remember Barbara Walters. She got mad at me when I reminded her of that when I was <laughs> a kid watching her. But it was a big deal. Yeah, who you who, who you set the day off with. Now, of course, um, I might have uh, sat down with you before we started here. And I might have told you a story about how um, my car uh, nearly hit. I you going there right Yeah, there. <laughs> my car nearly uh, uh, hit other cars. And we had to avoid all kinds of potholes. And it was a very dangerous thing. And I mean, I risked my <laughs> life getting up here to sit down with you and talk to you today. And I'm wondering, um, all joking aside, what do you think happened there with Brian? Boy, I don't know. I, what are I, people in your business? I mean, you are oh, it's, listen, be honest a newsman. And, and all of us in this business. You're hosting and, Good Morning America now, but you're a newsman. And everybody's been watching this and, and trying to figure out. And, you know, you know, it's like when something happens in your business, you know, we're all following every twist of this and trying to put it all together. You know, I, I'm not friends with Brian, but right. I— I see him around a lot. I like him. Good He's guy. funny. He's a good guy. Uh, I always respected his work. Yeah. Um, and then you see this start to happen, and a couple of things have stunned me. Um, one, 
when you see the you know the various clips, you're kind of, you're surprised at the volume a little bit, um, and the the vividness. Uh, performance yeah and then but also I gotta say I'm surprised I, I didn't quite understand how it got into the broadcast because mm-hmm. you know we all are surrounded by big teams and I, that was a little bit surprising and what you read online I mean again I don't believe I don't really rely too much on what I read in some of these venues but what you're seeing online is this idea which I find just very compelling is he just was in this perch where there was no one to say no to him he was his own boss. He had no censor. Isn't he had that the no... danger in all life, though? When you, when, you, when you don't have someone who can, whether it's your wife or your best yeah. friend or your brother or sister. Or... God knows I've got a wife that lets the air out of me from time to time. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I definitely. Yeah, I can always count on that. <laughs> I definitely do. And you do. I mean, listen, I, I, in, in my job, I sometimes chafe at some of the restrictions or, you know, you know the, the various checks and, and, and balances. But you know it's there f- for a reason. But I have a theory about him. What is it? And I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to expect you to, you know, to see it this way, but I, I have a theory about him, which is, and I would sit back in, 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 a, in a somewhat casual mode and I would watch this whole American sniper thing play out. And you'd say to yourself, well, uh, what people want is they want us to have a sustained, honest, real, palpable celebration of our fighting men and women who were over there now for many, many years. This war over there, whatever you want to call it, whatever the action was, they've been over there for a long, long time now, longer than any other battle we've ever had. Absolutely. And, and uh, it's a small, the tiny portion of the population that's been there for longer than ever before. Right. When I was a kid, Emma Florio was my babysitter, and Emma Florio's family lived down the block from me. And the seminal moment was that her brother, Roland Florio, who worked in a medevac helicopter who was due to come home in two weeks, gets shot down and he was killed. Mm. So the reverberations of death in Vietnam lived in my neighborhood. And in my height, exactly. And Vietnam and war and the draft lived in our lives. And now that's all gone. None of us have a dog in that fight, so to speak, that we're, we're blood kin. Or our friends, you know, it's blood funny, kin. That, that two-year difference in our age is is actually kind of significant. Yeah. My first memory of all that, I mean, I was just a little too young for all that Vietnam stuff, is actually, I was the first class, I believe, to go back and register for the draft again. But I came of age in that, I guess it was kind of a blessed era, where we just didn't, we didn't fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, my theory about Brian was that because Brian's audience is an audience that's a middle-class, conservative, moms and pops that aren't walking around with their devices in their hands all the time, maybe the device is something we make a phone call with, we're not checking what CNN says or Ariana Huffington says, and we all are creatures of habit. And they sit there and they go, they're like, no, my news, Brian tells me what the news is at 6 o'clock, yeah. and millions of people watch Brian. Yeah. Brian's got a good audience. And Brian... I think fell, even unconsciously, victim to something which was wrapping himself in the flag and in the glory of the military to please his audience. He kind of got a little drunk on, and this is, a, I'm, this is a big swing I'm taking here, but I see his language and I see the way he plays it out, and I try to understand people as an actor, like what they're going through, and I thought, he's trying to communicate to people here, he's trying to tell them something. And I think his audience is well, he's a trying to, yeah, He's trying to connect, but it, cause, but it wasn't just the military stuff, but trying to connect to people through stories. Right. And I think his crowd happens to be a very pro-military conservative crowd. I think that 6 o'clock news on NBC yeah, is not. For the, yeah, most, it's for the older, most part. It's an older crowd. It's an, yeah. it's an older, more conservative crowd. You having fun on that job? Is it fun? Most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah, and, you know, for me, I get, I, I, I get to, you know, 
I'm lucky now. And I've reached a point in my career, you know, you hope it lasts. You know, there's one of the cautionary tales of the whole Brian Williams episode is uh, I, I don't think we all make mistakes. I don't you think can I change would, in a day. I don't think what I would do what he did, but in that case, but we all make mistakes and you realize it can go. It can change like, in a day. Like that. Yeah, I, I'm like, familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> but what I, what I love about it is I get to do a lot of different things every day. All of life is kind of opened up to it. And then on top of it, the job I've structured now is I still, every other Sunday I'm, I'm, I'm doing this week. And whenever big news happens, I, and I take this responsibility seriously, but, you know, I really um, am fulfilled by when, when big things happen, having the chance to help explain it to people. Even though most people get, you know, more and more getting the news in other ways, they still are going to turn to you when, when big things happen. And, you know, to have the chance to, to be a part of that is, a, you know, it's a, it's a great privilege. You can hear George Stephanopoulos' commentary every other Sunday on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos. George's daughters hear his analysis every night when he joins them around the dinner table. He says that's the big benefit of his very, very early day. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.